So this opportunity to reflect and uh, remember uh, someone who's now has the perception of of death, because usually when we we think of somebody, we when the, when we know them, they have the life force, and we think of them as being a certain age. And then when somebody dies, then then that that perception of death uh, is connected to their name. And, and in meditation, this is what we we contemplate: the power of this word, the ending of of a life that were somebody that was born has now fulfilled their lifespan and is now dead. And it, Buddha was always pointing to the way things are, <coughs> so that we can actually witness to and observe that. Uh, that this realm that we live in is transient, changing, forever in flux, and what begins ends. So a funeral uh, ceremony is always an important uh, experience for all of us because it reminds us of the evanescence and the, the fluidity and flow of life uh, that oftentimes we forget when we become infatuated or attached to uh, the idea of life and vigor and health and, and all that uh, we become very much identified and attached to uh, after being born. So wisdom always arises through the contemplation of old age sickness and death. And that's why uh, the Buddha emphasized these as a subject for reflection and contemplation, the aging process, the, the movement from, from, say, that peak of youth, vigor and vitality to where the, the, uh, it's the downhill slide, the movement toward uh, death uh, to, uh, involving old age and sickness and the decaying and a process and death that we all experience. We all will die. For us, death is, is in the future. And uh, it's something that we will experience in the future. And that's a certainty. Uh, and that, so therefore, we're still very much experiencing life in, in conscious, as, a, as a conscious entity. And so life as a con in a conscious entity is like this. It's an experience of feeling, of emotion, of, of thinking, of memories uh, come and go, uh, of the physical body and its changes, uh, its, its good feelings, pleasurable sensations, and its pain, its uh, weaknesses, its, uh, its uh, uh, degenerating tendencies. So, uh, Morris Walsh was uh, uh, someone who was very much committed to uh, Buddhism. In the Buddhist uh, movement here in Britain, uh, he, he's one of the pioneers, who, uh, one of the people that was really uh, 
saw the value and the, the profundity of Buddhism when Buddhism was still probably considered a, a rather foreign and exotic uh, religion from Asia. And, and Morris could see beyond just the, the, uh, the, the uh, cultural uh, side of Buddhism into what the, the heart of it, the, the essence of Buddhism that is about humanity, about the life of a human being the experience of birth and the, the, uh, and the rising tide of birth and vigor and then the aging process towards death and decay. Now this is, in modern life, we, fi we find that people get very depressed and, uh, by these subjects because our society tends to dwell on the uh, ideal of youthfulness as the only thing worthwhile in life. And so the, one feels that modern society is very childish in a way because it, it's just uh, c completely kind of infatuated with, with being young and with being beautiful, being vigorous, be having good health, having attractive appearance and, and enjoying all the things of youth, romances, adventures, excitements. Monasticism is, is the opposite of that. It's like a, it's, a, it's the reminding, the reminder of the aging process that life is impermanent. And therefore, uh, a monk, Buddhist monk, as a, as a kind of archetype in nature is something that Reminds us uh, that uh, that life isn't. Uh, can, we cannot sustain a romance, adventure, and excitement, or or youth, or good health, or attractive appearance. That these things are very ephemeral and changing, and and that if we uh, attach, identify, and seek to to hold on to this, we only experience uh, despair and suffering as a result. So in the, the Buddha, when during his uh, when he left the the, the uh, legendary story of Prince Siddhartha leaving the palace, the four messengers uh, that awakened the young prince, Prince Siddhartha, to a spiritual uh, insight were the four uh, messengers: the old man, the sick man, the, the the, the corpse and the monk. So in Buddhism we call these the four heavenly messengers. They're the, the warning signs to all of us. Old age, sickness, death. And then uh, in terms of, of uh, Buddhism the samana or the monk or the nun. The, the shaven-headed uh, human being who's relinquished their attachments to to the world through uh, developing a, an awareness and, and, a, and a mindfulness uh, uh, toward the realities that we are experiencing in the present. So the insight that we all have through our meditation is the insight into the deathless reality. Uh, by seeing through 
and recognizing the the unsatisfactoriness of condition experience, of the changingness of conditioned phenomena. Uh, we no longer uh, find it fascinating or attractive or or uh, uh, be, allow ourselves to become uh, besotted with the conditioned realm and our attention moves toward the unconditioned, toward the immortal and the deathless. Morris was very much aware of this, and and he was uh, he he was very much someone who who uh, I feel uh, a sense of gratitude, enormous gratitude for him, because uh, he's one of the reasons that I've um, I'm here now, because uh, he was one of the. Uh, Trustees of the English Sangha Trust back in 1977 that invited uh, Ajahn Chah, Lumpur Chah, and myself to come to the UK. Uh, and uh, there were uh, there's George Sharp who's sitting here. He was the chairman of the trust at the time, and Morris Walsh, uh, Jeffrey Beardsley, who died about ten years ago, and uh, Frida Wint, uh, his grandson. Is the the uh, monk wearing the Tibetan robe? That's Frida Wint's grandson, and she was one of the uh, uh, important people that that uh, initiated this venture of inviting me and and another gentleman came a few months later and uh, onward into a, a time to establish uh, a sangha of Theravadan monks uh, here in in England, and uh, Morris. Well, I always felt, uh, for me personally, was a very supportive person. Uh, I never had any real conflict with him, and and uh, he was always someone uh, you could count on, and someone that was always uh, uh, encouraging and supportive in every way that he could be. Uh, when we, he always felt bad when we, that he couldn't live near the monastery, the first monastery down in West Sussex. Uh, you know, he, he was quite glad that we had that uh, beautiful place, Chitters, but, but he, he didn't regret the fact that it was so far away. At that time he lived in St. Albans uh, with his wife Florence, and it was quite, uh, he didn't have a car or anything, so difficult to Move from St. Albans down to near Petersfield, and and uh, and so he rarely we rarely saw him at the monastery in Chitters. But in 1984, we acquired this property, uh, Amarati, and of course it's very close to St. Albans, and he eventually moved to Birkenstead. And uh, and so in Birkenstead, we can even, we can even walk from here to Birkenstead, and uh, we, which we often do, and we would often go uh, on uh, our alms collecting uh, rounds into Birkenstead, and many times going to Morris's place where he'd give us cups of coffee or tea and biscuits. And uh, since he wasn't exactly skilled at cookery, he would give us. Uh, Tins of food in there, something. <laughs> it's rattling around in your arms, bowl. Uh, 
But and he we always have interesting conversations. He's our uh, poly expert. He would always feel annoyed, uh, incredibly irritated by the misuse of the English language and the misuse of poly. Uh, so he could get a bit cranky and crabby sometimes when he felt these things were not being properly uh, used or addressed. Uh, when he did become a monk, uh, he, in when was it? In eighty nine or nineteen eighty nine, I think uh, he ordained Atchitists, uh and and he, uh, he, he like in, in our tradition from Thailand, he it was it's quite ordinary, common for a man to ordain temporarily. Uh, and we, we aren't really encouraging this uh, here in England. Uh, Ajahn Chah, Lung Chah, was not very uh, uh, interested in temporary ordinations uh, in Thailand. And so he tended, you know, if you're not interested enough to stay and really develop, he said, then uh, ordain in some other monastery. Uh, so he would tend to send monks who just wanted to do the traditional ordination to other places. And because of that, I, I was kind of reticent about temporary ordinations here in the UK. But, but Morris was always, there was a way of honoring him uh, for all, that, all his work, his commitment, generosity uh, toward uh, Buddhism, uh, towards us, uh, uh, the Sangha that developed here in England. Uh, and it was uh, one way of, of, of honoring such a, a fine being was uh, fulfilling his wish to be a monk. So he he ordained at the about nine years ago, and uh, uh, spent the the uh, Lenten three months retreat here at Amaravati. His he was named uh, Venerable Mahanamo, and uh, he he was a very good monk actually. Uh, he was he, he was quite disciplined. And he was always uh, uh, quite. Uh, um, you could always uh, count on him being there, and he's quite committed to practice. And uh, oh, I thoroughly enjoyed having him in the sangha. I wished he could have stayed longer. Uh, but as Marianne said, he was planning to reordain at ninety. Uh, they didn't quite make it. He always, as we all appreciated, a fine sense of humor and such such uh, puns, incredible puns as the holy terrors, because a monk, a um, Theravadan monk that has over ten pansas is called a, a terror, which means an elder. And it was... Morris Walsh, who coined the pun of the Holy Terrace. <laughs> Another one of his great puns was we have this practice on full moons to, to circumambulate the stupa out in the field. We walk out from here, we walk out into the field, we walk around the stupa for three, three times. He calls that walking around in a stupa. <laughs> there are other limericks and puns which I shall not repeat at this time. 
But uh, I will, uh, we definitely will miss Morris. Uh, he was, it was always good to see him here on Sundays. He really, uh, you know, expected very little attention. And uh, he was, uh, he was always someone who, who, who gave a lot and seemed to demand very little. Uh, he didn't have any immediate family, uh, any relatives. Uh, and uh, I think I always felt he kind of looked to us uh, as his uh, his family. And so this uh, uh, funeral ceremony today is, is like a family ceremony for as far as I'm concerned. And I'm sure Morris is also realizing that this is uh, this uh, we're trying to. Uh, it's it's. Uh, uh, we waited to die till we finished the temple, and we had everything uh, set up in which he could have a grand Buddhist funeral surrounded by the sangha <laughs> in front of the the uh, Buddhist symbols that he loved, and uh, an opportunity for all his uh, friends, acquaintances, to to uh, get together and to uh, express our gratitude and our appreciation for having uh, known this very fine man. So I'll, I'll stop here and let others uh, give uh, uh, their reflections on Morris.